Thank you very much. This is my father's world. Never forget that. This is our father's world. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Let's turn again to Matthew chapter 5. I told you before I left to New Zealand that I was intending when I got back to speak on repentance. And that's precisely where, where I believe the Lord would direct us today. And, and not just today, but perhaps even for a, for a number of weeks. But we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus Christ. His words are words of life. And every sentence or every expression that has been graciously recorded for us in this book ought to be cherished and gladly received. We ought to hear it. We should heed it. We should love and cherish every word. Do you know when you fall in love with someone, you love every message from them. You love every text message, you love every telephone call, every email, every love letter that has been written in love. You love it and adore it. So it should be with the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what a special gift to be given such a large portion of conversation and teaching from Jesus. This is the beginning. Matthew 5 is the beginning of three chapters that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a long discourse, a long a time of Jesus speaking and preaching to people. And really, there's nothing quite like it all in all of God's Word. There are other sermons, the, the Olivet Discourse. There are other conversations. But this is truly unique and special. What a treasure chest of spiritual riches. When I got back from New Zealand, I brought to my family an assortment of chocolates that came from New Zealand. And when I stopped off in San Francisco, I bought some chocolates there. And when I came back with all the different chocolates, boy, the children were excited. They were delighted to see such gifts. They were elated over the moon at so many different kinds and different flavors. But how much more thrilled should we be with this collection of sweet, treats from the lips of Jesus Christ. How much more excited should we be to unwrap every truth that is given to us in his word? Would you like to know how to live the Christian life here below? Then study the Sermon on the Mount. Would you like to be blessed? Well, then study just who it is that Jesus says we'll be blessed. Because if Jesus blesses somebody then they are blessed indeed, aren't they? And the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount starts with these Beatitudes or these blessings. Can you turn me up just a little bit, please? I'm having trouble hearing myself. It begins with just that, what it is to be blessed. And I don't really care if you think I'm blessed. I do care if Jesus thinks I'm blessed. And if he calls me blessed, that's what I'm interested in. And that's what we're looking at. There are a number of reasons why we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5 today. And I believe a number of weeks ago, God has brought to my attention a very neglected principle or doctrine throughout God's word. And he did that by showing my, showing my own deficiency in this area. And that is, of course, the subject of repentance. 
The English word repentance is found in one form or another more than a hundred times in our Bibles today. And I believe that God would have us to begin here in our study on this truth of repentance. Because repentance is not a curse, but a blessing. Repentance is not a negative thing. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift and enlightenment that I believe God's Spirit Himself brings to us. It's a blessing. Look at the first words. Some people believe this is Jesus' first sermon He ever preached. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's certainly the first sermon recorded for us in the pages of the New Testament. And the first words of His first sermon recorded for us are these. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's the first words. No introduction. No trying to get you warmed up to the idea that he's about to give you. No priming the pump. Just bang. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Straight to the point. What is repentance and what does this, blessed are the poor in spirit, have to do with it? Repentance is many of you know, simply means to change one's mind. That's what it is. A change of mind that ultimately leads to a change of direction. That's repentance. Repentance doesn't always have to do with sin, although that's where we'll begin. Sometimes repentance is not a matter of sinfulness, but a matter of changing direction and changing mind. But here, this is what we'll look at Together today, we'll talk a little bit about repentance in, in light of this thought. I wonder why is it we hear so very little of repentance today? Have you ever wondered that? Perhaps it's because it's not a popular subject, let's be honest. We don't mind the idea of having Jesus and his blessings, but we do mind the idea of having to leave the old life behind. We don't mind the idea of receiving all the riches in Christ, but we do not like the idea of having to leave behind the so-called riches of this world, which are not really riches at all. Repentance, turning away from sin, that's not popular. That's not enjoyable. It's not comfortable. Really, we've been given the wrong idea about Christianity, haven't we? Martin Luther said many years ago that every true saint is heir to the cross. Did you ever think about that? Every true saint is heir. You have inherited the cross. Leonard Ravenhill said a long time ago that we are living and we have a crossless Christianity. Nobody wants to bear their cross anymore. No one wants to bear their cross and take up their cross and follow Jesus. We like to wipe the sweat from off our brow and relax and breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus bore our cross for us, which he did, to which we give thanks to God. But we do not like the idea of a Christianity that involves effort, that involves trouble, that involves persecution. But every true saint is heir to the cross. And here in the Beatitudes we see the nature of true Christianity. One of, uh, one of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, once said about this portion, 
And when you look at the Beatitudes, poverty leads the van and persecution brings up the rear. There you go. That sums up your Christianity. Poverty leads the way. Persecution brings up the rear. Now that's not, that doesn't sound like much of Christianity today. That doesn't sound like much of our faith that is being proclaimed through pulpits and television programs and radios today. Poverty and persecution? Poverty at the beginning and persecution at the end? I want something else. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for riches and blessings. And there are riches and blessings in Christ. We'll see that in just a moment. The most precious characteristics of the child of God are oftentimes held in contempt by the world. The greatest blessings of being a Christian are often despised by this world, like poverty. That's why we know we've got a problem when the majority of churches today are preaching a prosperity gospel. Oh, I preach a prosperity gospel, but that's prosperity in Christ. Prosperity in the Lord Jesus, riches in Christ, not riches in the bank. Oftentimes, the world, and not just the world, but churches even, are living and teaching in total opposition of the principles of God's Word. And it is shameful when the bride of Christ wants Christianity God's, the world's way. That's shameful. I'm reminded of a conversation that Christian, Mr. Christian had in Pilgrim's Progress. He and Hopeful were on their journey and passing through Vanity Fair and they met a character by the, by the name of Byins. And Byins said this, "'Tis true that we somewhat differ in religion from those of a stricter sort, but really only in two small points. First, we never strive against wind and tide. That sounds like Christianity today, doesn't it? Don't you dare go against the flow. Don't you dare buck the system. We never strive against wind and tide. And secondly, we are always most zealous when religion goes in his silver slippers. We love much to walk with him in the street if the sun shines and the people applaud him. That's Christianity today. Oh, we like it when we get silver shoes. And we like it when the sun is shining and people are saying, well done, you Christians. But the second the world scoffs you, do you hide your Christianity? The second that the sun goes away and rain and freezing weather and conditions begin to buffet you, do you say, hold on a moment, I didn't sign up for this? That's the world's view and that's oftentimes the popular view of Christianity today. Somebody once said those, these kind of people are those who would gladly wear Christ's jewels, but they would avoid his cross at all measure. You cannot keep the world and gain Christ. You can't. You cannot keep the world. I cannot keep the world and my passions and my sin and gain Christ. And repentance is one of those foundational principles of our faith. Did you know that? Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews chapter 6. 
Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. The author of Hebrews says, let's move on to Christian maturity. And we do that by moving on from the foundation of repentance. Repentance is a doc- foundational doctrine. Look here for a second. If you remove it, you have no foundation. If there never was repentance in your salvation, you have no foundation. You're not saved. Sorry. Without repentance, there is no salvation. It's a foundation. Many are trying to build without the foundation. And so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. First on the list. First on the list. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in a public sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what you find in the next three chapters are the keys and the expectations for Christian living today. Do not let somebody rip this out of your Bible. Do not let somebody cut this passage from the word and say that this is not for you. That's hogwash. It's for you. And if you don't read it and learn it, my friend, you are a sad, sad excuse of a Christian. First on the list, poor in spirit. Let me begin this morning by talking about this thought. Poverty is the key to repentance. Poverty. Now, I'm not talking about poverty in your wallet. Genuine repentance begins with a discovery. Do you know that? Genuine repentance begins with this discovery. I'm poor. You open up your wallet. Have you ever been in this situation? Gone to a shop and you've you've put a load, a number of items in your shopping trolley and you go to check out and everything's been scanned and they tell you your final price and you reach in your wallet and, ho, I forgot my card or I have no cash. That's an embarrassing feeling. It's a very frustrating feeling when you recognize I got nothing. I'm poor. And when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, here's what he's saying. We discover that we have nothing. Now, just because you're poor in your wallet or your bank account doesn't mean you're blessed. That's not what he's talking about. Otherwise, there'd be countries all over the world that would be greatly blessed because they've got no money. Otherwise, there'd be people living on the streets of Oxford who are very blessed because they've got no money. It's not talking about having no money. Not at all. This is poverty of spirit. It's not talking about how uh, we are we are rich because we are sinners. That's not what this is talking about. Poor in spirit. What Jesus is saying here is not saying those who are sinners because everybody's a sinner and every unconverted soul is poor in spirit in a sense and that doesn't mean they're blessed. No, no, this is talking about something entirely different. <coughs> this is poverty of spirit. This is a talking about a recognition of, of understanding that you have nothing to offer God and that you are destitute. By the way, there are many Christians who, who do not know what it is to be poor in spirit. 
What do you mean? I mean exactly what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 16. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor. You can be poor and not know you're poor. But this poor in spirit that Jesus is talking about is the kind of destitution that God opens your eyes to. You've discovered your sin. You have seen that there's no goodness in you at all. And everywhere you look, in your heart, in your mind, and everywhere you look, you find wretchedness and blackness and ugliness. And every time you try to look somewhere else and, and, and anxiously and, and urgently trying to find something, one little scrap to stand on of goodness in your life, you find nothing. And at the end of all of your searching, at the end of this discovery, you pull out file after file and cupboard after cupboard and you begin to recognize, I have nothing. And the things you thought were good actually aren't good at all. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You search every crack and crevice and corner of your life and you find nothing but blackness and darkness and ugliness. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. And if you don't begin here, you can't go any further. You can't skip this one and all of a sudden receive a blessing from God. You can't jump over this because it's uncomfortable. You can't miss this one out because it doesn't feel good. Now listen, we live in a society in a day and age which teaches and preaches the exact opposite. We live in a world that tells you, look, you're, you're not bad. You're not that bad. You're actually good. All of us are good. But don't be so hard on yourself. It's okay. Look, you're good. Just look inside yourself. You'll find goodness. Look inside yourself. You'll find rottenness. The world tells us a totally different narrative. We're all good people. Look at what you've done and look at who you are and look at the smile on your face on Facebook. That's real, isn't it? What a totally different approach. True repentance begins when you begin to search, when you begin to look at your life and everything you used to think was good, you begin to recognize as rotten. And when you get there, when you arrive there, it's like God turns a light on. It's like God in his mercy turns a light on and says, look, you aren't as squeaky clean as you think you are. I've told you this story before, but my wife and I went to, before we were married, we were engaged. We went to a restaurant in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was known to be a very popular and a very fancy restaurant, an Italian restaurant meant to be very nice and romantic, and we took a little corner booth, and, and it was meant to be one of the best of the best. We sat there, that corner booth was up by the edge of the road, and as cars would drive by, occasionally the light, the headlamps of the cars would shine in, and I can remember sitting in that place, lovely atmosphere, Italian music playing, all that, all that one smell of garlic, a wonderful experience, until the light of, of some of those cars began whizzing by, and I just happened to catch a glimpse as the headlamps shone into where we were sitting. And I began to see that actually this was a very filthy place. And everywhere I looked, the table was greasy and 
food on the floor and bugs in the cracks. And I'm telling you, I began, my stomach began to turn and what I thought was really special was actually revealed to be very disgusting. That's precisely what God is looking for. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Discovery of the reality of yourself. Despairing in yourself and seeing nothing else to do but to run to Jesus. Now God doesn't, make no mistake about it, God didn't want you to live there. It's the first thing. God doesn't want you to despair of yourself and, and to live in that poverty of spirit so that you, you recognize there's nothing good and you shrivel up and curl up in a, in a little ball in a hole somewhere and die. That's not what God wants. God wants you to see the depravity of your nature, the ugliness of who you are and what you've become. And then he wants you to look to the beauty of Jesus, the cleanliness of Christ, the purity of the Savior, the righteousness of God. And he wants you to get up out of the filth and mire of your own self and run to Jesus. That's what he wants. For you to know there's no hope in the mercy of God. You can't get up tomorrow and pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't turn over a new leaf tomorrow and change your life. There's no hope. The only hope is if you run to Jesus. This is where it begins. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 18. You may remember this little story. Jesus says in Luke 18 verse 9, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. There's a key there. That's the key. The reason he gives this parable is because people were trusting in themselves. Look here. Look here. Some of you today are trusting in yourself. You are. You're trusting in yourself. And Jesus speaks this to you. And he says this. By the way, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. They looked down on other people. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican, a notable sinner. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. There's a key there. The Pharisee, the religious man, prayed with himself. He didn't pray with God. He prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Whew. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Surely I am a gift to heaven. That's what he thought. And the publican, standing afar off, would not even lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Here's a man who was poor in spirit. He couldn't even look up to God. He was so unworthy. I wonder, do you know that? Look, true repentance begins with poverty. Now, here's another thought. Only after we've seen our poverty can we receive the riches of Christ. Only after. Only after you have seen your poverty can you receive the riches that are in Christ. Why would we ever run to Jesus, the fountain of living water, if we did not see ourselves as parched and dry and dying of thirst? This water is of no interest to me until my lips begin to get dry. 
until my voice begins to crack. Then I realize I need a drink. Why would we run to Jesus, the bread of life, until we feel the starving nature of our hungry soul? Why would I run to the light of the world, Jesus Christ, unless I recognize that I'm living in darkness? There are no riches of salvation for you to enjoy until you've seen the poverty of your own soul. Now this is the root. And if there be no root, there be no fruit. Let's begin here. One writer said that poor in spirit makes a man humble. Do you know why we lack such humility in our Christianity today? Is because we're not poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit makes a man humble. Because you know you've got nothing. You've got nothing to boast about. Nothing to pat yourself on the back about. You've got no gifts and no talents. and You've got nothing to offer God. You've got nothing but filthy rags. That's it. That makes a man humble. That makes a man truly. You see a proud man today. You see a proud woman today. Then they know nothing of the poverty of God. Of poverty in spirit. They know nothing of repentance. How could we dream of standing before people and acting like we're special when we know the darkness within? Poverty prepares us for change. Poverty prepares a man for change. Go anywhere in the world today and meet people who know what true poverty is, they're ready for a change. Go anywhere in this country today and find somebody who's truly poor, living in true poverty. They're ready for change. They say, I need something besides these rags. I need something to eat. I need something over my head besides a cardboard box. True poverty makes a man ready for change. You will never be changed until you recognize the poverty of your sinful state and the riches that are found in Jesus, then you're ready to be changed. Then you're ready. Genesis chapter 2, I think about this, came to my mind this morning while I was sitting in the office there. Genesis 2 verse 7, think about these words with me please. And the Lord God formed man out of all the gold and silver of the ground. Is that what it says? Some of you think that's what happened to you. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Do you know we are dirt? We're dirt. You're not gold and silver and precious pearls. We've been made from the dirt. And as soon as you and I stop thinking that we're special and recognize that God made us from the dust of the ground, we stand oftentimes at a funeral at a grave and we'll say dust to dust ashes to ashes because we knew we know we were made from the dust of the earth and unto the dust shall we return do you want God to make something out of your life do you do you want God to take the little ball of dirt that you are and make something beautiful that'll never happen until you acknowledge without his hand 
you are still just a lump of dirt. Until you recognize, until you acknowledge without the breath of God, there's no life in that lump of clay. Without the Spirit of God breathing upon us, there's no hope of any change. We'll always forever be just like we are. Dead in trespasses and sins. We'll always be forever bound in chains and iniquities. We'll never be any different. Same mindset, same crippling attitudes. We'll never be any different unless God by His Spirit moves upon us and breathes into our nostrils a breath of life. Would you look here for a moment? We need today a fresh breath of God. Oh, breath of God comes sweeping o'er us. That's what we need. That's what we need today. David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, you may remember the account. We are given a very precious chapter in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 51. After David was brought to repentance, he writes Psalm 51 and he begins by saying, have mercy upon me. And throughout his plea to God, he speaks like this, have mercy upon me, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. You see, he sees how poor he is. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Verse 10. And create in me a clean heart. Look here. You know what David was saying? There is no clean heart inside of me. In fact, there's nothing clean. If there's going to be anything clean in me, God, you're going to have to make it. You're going to have to create it. It's the same word that's found in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. No offense, I don't mean to upset anybody, but if you take away the creation of Almighty God, if you take away the reality that God spoke and it was created out of nothing, then you take away so much from God's word and so much from your faith. God spoke. And it happened. And if you want God to change you, you better recognize you're nothing more than a lump of dirt and nothing's going to happen until he breathes on you. And that'll make you cry out like David, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. There's no change without poverty. Through it, through poverty of spirit, we gladly receive the kingdom of God. You can't get it any other way. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You will never be born again, never saved, until you recognize I am totally empty. And in so doing, you're made to look to Jesus, who has it all, who died for your poverty. He that was rich was made poor for us that we might be made rich in Him. Amazing. Only 
then when you recognize and admit your poverty, the depth and reality of your poverty, then can you look to Jesus and say, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's when you can rejoice in salvation. Christ is no longer despised, but then made precious. Have you looked to him? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you this morning poor in spirit? Do you know what it is to be poor in spirit? There's a real problem in the world today. And the problem is we have cheapened the gospel. Here's what I mean. We've tried to push people into the kingdom by skipping the step. And they never, it, they never actually make it into the kingdom. Because there is no kingdom of heaven unless there first be poor in spirit. There isn't. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's where repentance begins. True repentance begins when we get a good long look at ourselves and we hate what we see. Then we turn by God's grace and mercy. Maybe this morning you are still in your sins and you've never passed through this passageway of poverty and spirit. You've never been there. You've never seen yourself for what you are. I'm not saying some people would have you, some people would have you live there for about three years before you can be saved. I'm not saying that at all. Some people would have you locked up in a change of despair for three years and look at your own worthlessness for three years before you're ready to be saved. I don't think that's necessary at all. You just need a little glimpse, recognize how rotten you are so you can turn away from that and look to Jesus. That's it. To the one who is precious. The one who's able. He's got the bar of spiritual soap and clean, clean you right up. Will you look to him today? Christian, we should never move too far beyond this. We begin here and we do move forward, but it is our foundation. You can never get away from it. Do you know that? If you build a house on a foundation, you don't build a house and then take the foundation away. The foundation remains, and this is part of our foundation, part of the foundation of our faith. You can't get away from it. You must always be looking back. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. I stand upon him because he's made me to recognize I have nothing else to stand upon. All of the ground is sinking sand. Would you bow your head with me in prayer, please? We'll sing our final hymn here in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice to be able to look at thy word this morning and we thank thee that in mercy, in kindness, the light has been switched on for some of us. We've seen, Lord, the ugliness of our own souls. We've seen, Lord, that we have nothing to offer, but we rejoice that thou hast everything to offer. That you do, Lord. Although we be poor, thou art rich. Although we be empty, thou art full to overflow it and are able to give unto us of the riches of thy grace. Help us this morning, I pray. Lord, we would not linger too long. We would not stay too long looking at our own depravity. Help us to quickly look to Jesus and to keep our eyes upon him. I pray for those who are still lost this morning. Have mercy upon them, Lord. 
Lord, may something that has been said cause them for the first time ever to recognize that they have nothing. And may they be able, as the little man once prayed in Luke chapter 11, I have nothing to set before them, so give me. May we also cry out, Lord, from our poverty, give me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Give me that which I do not have. Change us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.